Do you feel that psychedelics have shaped the way you are as a leader or they changed the way you perform as a leader? Yes, absolutely. Your most mind-altering hour of the week. Hi, you're listening to Shift Happens and I'm your host, Ina. So my motivation for um, inviting Michael Maske to this uh, podcast is simple. Michael, for me, is one of the most captivating people that I have uh, ever met. And his life, his professional um, path, um, his personality, for me, represent the dot on the horizon for where humanity, or the human species, is currently headed. Um, for me, he's the new Renaissance man. And let me explain why. Michael started his career in the hub, the global hub, for startups and innovation in the Silicon Valley. Then he moved to the global hub for finance, business, and commerce, which is New York City. Finally, making his way to the convergence point for sustainability, for science, for technology, also known as the most liberal city in the world, also known as the city where crazy is a value, which is Amsterdam, which is where I met Michael about four years ago. Uh, and at that point in his life, uh, he was just starting his exploration into psychedelics. And in that way, for that extra reason, uh, Michael for me represents uh, the type of open-mindedness, the type of unwavering dedication, the type of commitment, uh, but also intelligence and professional prowess that I feel um, inspires and also describes the people who are listening to this podcast, so the Shift Collective. That's why I'm super excited to have you here, Michael. Thank you for taking time from your adventures and from your travels to join us here today. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me here and quite uh, quite an introduction. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me here and super excited to, to be chatting with the uh, with the Ship Collective. May I ask where you're traveling from? Yes, yeah, so I'm traveling from, as you mentioned, originally from, uh, from Silicon Valley. Uh, just spent a couple months back on the West Coast introducing my family and friends to a, a relatively new girlfriend. Uh, Katarina from Slovakia, and in a few weeks, going to be heading off to Southeast Asia, Nepal, uh, Bhutan, India, Sri Lanka, Malaysia, Philippines, and Korea to do a uh, combination of uh, yeah community exploration, uh, Vipassana, so sitting down for 10 days, uh, Himalaya trek, uh, some Ayurvedic treatment in Rishikesh, and traveling with a little bit of a different intention instead of uh, just going to see a lot of things, actually going to experience and see kind of what community means to myself, my girlfriend. Uh, and there's a lot of wisdom out there and really excited to, yeah, just continue expanding horizons. Uh, as you mentioned, I'm from Silicon Valley and that is a very innovative, amazing place, but does not represent the experience of uh, most of the world. And so I really love seeing different ways of life and thinking and, and being. Wow. And that's exactly what I mean. I mean... What a bag of wisdom, of, of adventure, of interests is. Yeah, it's incredible. But before we start, and we get into the depth of everything because I want to know everything. Um, I have a question. We have a tradition on the Shit Happens podcast 
and that is that a previous um, uh, guest would leave a um, question for you in this case or for the next guest and we had uh, Peter Schouten uh, on our podcast on the previous one where we spoke about regulation of psychedelics in the Netherlands so you will figure out that this question comes from a lawyer when I <laughs> when I ask it oh. <laughs> <laughs> and the question was um, do you believe that jail time as a punishment for longer than two years is still an effective way to um, have a corrective measure for the detained? Really your area of expertise, I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, first of all, I'm not a lawyer, nor do, I, nor do I pretend to ever play one. So, I mean, I think there's some caveats to the question, right? Um, I think it's you just blanket the whole world and all criminal systems I think it's very difficult to give a yay or a nay. I'm not sure that's what he's asking for. Um, I do think in certain situations, right, the risk of not giving somebody maybe their full length, but instead two years, probably out, probably the risks are less than the benefits. Uh, at the same time, and this was a conversation I had over Easter with a friend of mine uh, who was in the, the U.S. military. He kind of said he mentioned that. There are certain situations or certain outcomes where, unfortunately, it's probably best not to take that risk based upon previous behavior. And for me, again, not being a lawyer or knowing much, two years might be a little bit short in some of those situations. And it's really that risk reward. So I don't think it's a yes or no answer. That being said, the prison industrial complex and the way that things work in the U.S. and, and so forth is clearly not working right. And I think until we start looking at uh, addicts, we start looking at people who are in prison, uh, all these people as fellow humans that need to be healed. Um, but instead of putting them and dehumanizing them, but actually treating them as the, in a lot of cases, mentally unstable people that they are, rather than criminals, uh, I think that will change the, the system. But whether or not two years is enough or not, I, I don't think I'm qualified to answer. But that's kind of, I think, how we need to start thinking about uh, criminals and mental health, because I think they're way more intimately uh, connected than we give credit to. And I'm a big fan of Gabor Mate and what he talks about, and I think it kind of ties into that. So I'd like to look at the recidivism rates and other things to fully answer it. But yeah, that's a, that's a doozy of a question. Thank you for, well, trying to answer this question. <laughs> I don't think anybody has an answer to such a, indeed, of a doozy of a question. However, we do have... Uh, kind of um, a precedence that mm. um, tried to answer this question. And if you remember the Concord experiment that was conducted in the 63, I think 61 to 63, and it was conducted by a group of scientists from the Harvard uh, University. So their hypothesis was just let's put all these guys together. Let's give them some psychedelics. And then they will forget all about their uh, antisocial or uh, bad behavior. And therefore, they could be, you know, let out sooner than, uh, than we, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't need long-term uh, de uh, detainment. And what do you think the result of that experiment was? Or maybe you know about it. Well, the result... Um, I would guess that the result was less... Below average recidivism for those behaviors, 
um, would be my guess. Obviously, I'm biased. I think there's a lot of potential in psychedelics and helping mental health. One question I also have is, did the gentleman who was here before who asked that question, did he have an opinion or thoughts about the question he asked? Or, yeah, I'd love to hear his thoughts after it. Or after I've already had a chance to answer. Peter, I have to invite you back to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the, the results of the Concord experiment were inconclusive. Basically, mm. they didn't find uh, any positive, very, very small positive shifts in behaviors. And they are now looking, the scientists or the science world is looking into uh, repeating the experiment because they felt there were some... Um, um, missed opportunities or things they could have done better. However, for me, this doesn't feel like a failed experiment. I feel that this actually um, was a successful experiment in proving that psychedelics are not a drug. Mm -hmm. And I feel that it's time for us to remove these labels, you know, and it's very important, the vocabulary that we use around this kind of topics. Because as soon as we label something as a drug, there are two associations that are coming to our minds and possibly one that's sitting in your drawers or something that's chemically produced and and um, uh, something that you are kind of going to like a, you know, paracetamol take uh, and then kick back, relax, and it will do the work for you. Um, and the reason I'm against that label is because psychedelics are not working that way, um, as you know, and I'm curious to hear about your experience in a second. Um they are not they're not something that you take and then they will do the work for you but it requires uh, a whole set of skills of training of preparation but also the set and setting and the way things are taking place in that situation in and of itself and i'm sure those harvard uh, university scientists because they were the it's people such as timothy leary i mean these are not uh, your everyday troubles, right? <laughs> Not your average people. <laughs> no, they probably have considered uh, certain aspects, uh, but I'm not sure how, how holistic the whole process was. So um, in that sense, for me, this experiment definitely proves that psychedelics are not a drug. It's not something you pop and, and, and relax and it takes work and it does its job, but it's something you need to co-create and work with Um uh, together so it's a relationship it's symbiosis and that requires a certain set of skills a certain set of characteristics and preparation so I'd like to maybe then lead with this into a question for you um, normally we associate um, psychedelics or the, the, the moment we're going to take something um, with them with you know the last resort Mm. things are not working out so let me take some ayahuasca things are not working out let me take some psilocybin and uh, to me you look like a very well-rounded person where things are very much working out (laughs) (laughs) in all ways and uh, uh, in all directions so I'm curious what made you start to explore psychedelics to begin with? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, there's a saying, fake it till you make it. <laughs> um, and I do think, and, and I think Roland Griffiths has done, has done studies on psychedelic use for healthy people, right? So we always look at it, look at it in terms of uh, people that have challenges. And hey, let's call a spade a spade. Everybody has challenges in their life and they all are very personal and intimate and of varying degrees of severity in terms of how much they affect your day to day. Some 
can hardly get out of bed and some, you know, you want to optimize. You know, for me, what I've found uh, through psychedelics in, in not a recreational sense, but in a, um, in a therapeutic sense, because I, I recreationally was playing around with them and, and utilizing them uh, since basically college. And then, um, you know, starting with, with our session, really looking at it more as a, a opening and kind of another modality aware, as well as with meditation and mindfulness and breath work and cold exposure and all these different pieces um, kind of add to the tool chest of ways to explore. And for me, you know, I had a calling after a really kind of hectic, crazy 2020, which interestingly, I know is crazy for a lot of people, right? Um, and, and a lot of times, unfortunately, crazy, sad and bad and intense because of lost ones and being locked up and all the mental health issues that I think we're always underneath kind of bubbling up. Interestingly for me, it was a pretty transformative year where uh, I start off by getting divorced, starting a new relationship, working at Zoom, which I'd been working at, buying a home. And, and so I uh, came to my first experience really in a place of there's a lot going on. Uh, oh, also helping my parents finalize their divorce. And um, so a lot of positive and a lot of challenges and changes and really wanted to come in with the intention of like, what's lack lacking or what am I not able to find and where is kind of some self-love missing? Um, which again, part of it felt a little awkward at 2020 to be doing that kind of work when the world's on fire and so many other things are, are being challenged. Um, but yeah, I came into it really with this appreciation of what they've provided recreationally and thinking, hey, I'm learning about this space. I'm learning about different modalities and all these healing non-prescriptive modalities uh, I find are can be really helpful at different times and, and right now the the one that's kind of calling me the most is, is a bit positive which I'm doing next month where I'm gonna sit silently hopefully for 10 days and explore what that experience is and I almost group them together and, and what you had said about psychedelics and drugs and how we look at these things uh, I think need to be reframed because hey the tobacco and the alcohol that the governments are saying are legal Drugs are still drugs and, quite frankly, much more toxic and unhealthy. Yet, because a body of sometimes uninformed or less informed than they should be based upon legislation and previous social norms based on like the last couple hundred years, not social norms over our five to 10,000 years existence, um, people think of drugs bad, but really, uh, yet psychedelics, I think, are should be categorized differently and, and the destigmatization or a kind of branding them differently is a challenge. But I think it begins just through conversation uh, and understanding um, and not having fear. Fear is such a powerful component of it, which governments have been able to uh, exploit. And I think they were doing what they thought was right. I don't think it was evil. I think it was just uninformed. Absolutely. Um... And you're, there are so many tangents that I want to plug into. <laughs> um, one, starting with, um, you mentioned several instances or stakeholder groups related to the psychedelic arena. And I was wondering, because you, you stated uh, the former employer Zoom, corporate world, mm. where do they sit in this whole story? According to you, it's interesting because I think throughout the four years, uh, especially working in the Netherlands, um, there's definitely a 
culture of slightly more tolerance or acceptance, but there's also what we call the, you know, I don't know if people like it or not, but the psychedelic renaissance. And so the idea of people talking about going to an ayahuasca retreat or a psilocybin retreat, specifically in the Netherlands, because it's legal, I saw it kind of being something people didn't really talk about. Maybe when I started in 2019 is, hey, whatever helps with mental health, right, is a matter of that they would support it, I would assume. I think one thing that Silicon Valley is kind of finding again is the fact that a lot of like you think of Steve Jobs and these other kind of visionaries, Silicon Valley, uh, where I'm from uh, originally and where my mom grew up when it was just like kind of farmland before all the companies came in, there was a lot of energy there that had to do with the 60s and psychedelics and changing the world and kind of what technology allows and technology is a, a representation of us. And a kind of our imagination, and there's really no limit to it other than what is based on physics, which is what we know. But a lot of that came from Silicon Valley. So I think it would be a little uh, hypocritical for companies based in kind of in the tech world to not be open to using this type of technology, which is what I think psychedelics are for the mind, uh, to help solve mental health issues. I love that you call it technology. <laughs> <laughs> I refer to it as well, uh, also as a technology. Uh, speaking of which, I mean, steering the business development for, and sales for some of the largest corporations in the world and Zoom being one of the latest gem on your resume. Um, and let's face it, um, you know, being at, at, the, at the front end of the business growth of the company, which shapes actually fundamentally the way we connect with each other in this digital world is not a small feat. This is quite an impressive achievement. Um, it, and for me, that requires a specific type of leadership, requires a different type of leadership. And somehow I see psychedelics providing that type of uh, thinking mm. and uh, skills that uh, would like maybe we could think about meta awareness or the type of empathy that is required or uh, the type of open mindedness that would be required. Do you feel that psychedelics have shaped the way you are as a leader or they changed the way you perform as a leader? Yeah. Um, so the, answer, the short answer is yes, absolutely. Uh, I think a combination of psychedelics, meditation, uh, breath work, all of it, all these different modalities provide insights into kind of your own psyche and process. And through that, you realize that you know, everybody's going through theirs at different levels. And so there's almost a more of an appreciation. Um, you know, it's a combination of, I think, also experience and age and kind of, you know, the leader I was at 25, 26 is very different than the one um, at 33, 34. And so that's also a factor. But I do think it just, yeah, provides, um, especially in situations where, yeah, Zoom was super impactful and still is to the world. Uh, but my job leading the business development organization, which was really helping kind of uh, get into the door and beginning the process for companies to look at Zoom more. Hey, let's just call Space Aid. Like we're not solving cancer and people aren't living or dying by it. And so I think it allows you that separation of this is my identity that is tied to validation that I'm seeking, that I'm working on with my therapist and other people or individuals, my partner. And so I think it just gives you that space of realizing where you fit in. And accepting it, or if you don't fully feel into it, realizing, hey, maybe there's something else. And so I think it, it downplays. Or what I think we see a lot is people get very attached to their identity. 
Um, and sometimes it is very meaningful, impactful, purposeful work. But at the end of the day, we're, we're moving software around, right? Uh, and as long as people can connect, that's the end goal. There's a million reasons why I think Zoom is the best. But there's also, for me, it was much more about the people part of it. And so I really enjoyed working with people early on in their career. And I got a lot of purpose and drive and energy from that. And when you work with people, especially very early on in their career, there's a lot of excitement. And so how do you temper or help drive that excitement? So yeah, I would say psychedelics and again, meditation and all these different modalities allow you to be kind of a spectator to your thoughts. Um, and every time you learn how to do more and more of that, uh, I think you have less knee-jerk responses to others because you're kind of more calculated yourself. Uh, but the minute you start thinking that and you start getting out of yourself, the universe will humble you and show you that you still have a lot more to learn yourself. So it's always a back and forth. Yeah, there are already quite some experiments also in Silicon Valley, which you mentioned earlier, but as well as, as in Amsterdam, where we have, I mean, people usually think that everything is legal here, which is not true. Um, and only magic mushrooms are sold legally um, in smart shops. And uh, nothing else, actually, from the psychedelic range is um, uh, currently allowed to be sold. And yet we already have companies who are utilizing well, the legal substances uh, for microdosing team building events. And uh, there are some uh, um, uh, underground stories. I don't know how true they are. For example, with Tommy Hilfinger, mm. um, that they've done team building events using microdoses. And I find that a fascinating topic. Mm. Um, and I'm wondering, would you have dared, uh, after having had <laughs> <laughs> your experience with a small, small dose, uh, to bring your team for a session with us, for example? You know, I definitely have thought about the potential for uh, leaders to come in. And again, you know, the world we live in, obviously this needs to be legal and approved and waivers and all that stuff, which, you know, I would never dare to do with in a publicly traded company without getting those kind of T's and dots, uh, T's crossed and I's dotted. Um, but I think there's a great potential. Would I have dared to do it? You know, I really love my job and enjoyed the team I worked with. And so there are uh, limitations when you're not working in a startup that can do whatever, not do whatever it wants, but have a lot more leniency. But I definitely would think it could be valuable. I think what we, what I'd more is kind of in between was I would um, have honest discussions with team members about my experiences with legal uh, substances here and what kind of point them in the right direction for their own exploration. Uh, just because unfortunately we're in a place now where everybody can feel comfortable or pressured and I don't really want to be, I, I don't want to combine kind of the corporate with the psyche in that way. But I do think it'd be really valuable if like five, 10 leaders, senior leaders decided they wanted to and everybody was bought in and the right process would. I think that could be really helpful as if they kind of change from the leaders and then they can disseminate their lessons or learnings and just kind of create a culture of openness. But no, those short, short answer, yeah, I don't know if I would dare at a big corporate company to, to propose that yet. But if somebody else did and it was approved, I would absolutely support it and do it in a way that was ethical and uh, comfortable and allow people also the ability to say no thank you because these are, as you know, these are uh, pretty serious brain technologies or soul line technologies that you want to uh, yeah, be respectful. Absolutely agree with the responsible aspect of it. But separating the corporate from the psyche 
Uh, I would challenge you there. <laughs> I mean, if you're looking on the work floor and you're seeing all the numbers of burnout mm. and uh, McKinsey and all other companies that I've heard struggling with the numbers of, uh, you know, people uh, going on long-term sick leave, how much uh, that costs us as an economy and how simple the solution could be because mm. it's sitting really, I mean, it's, it's been proven that it's helping you know, yeah. with all these um, mental um, issues, um, and therefore I think it would be we would be remiss not to explore that because of the stigma. And uh, the reason I asked you this question is because for me you're one of the most open-minded leaders that I uh, that I know, and having explored all these things by by yourself for yourself. And it, that kind of shows that if you are still trepidant, so you're still careful about how are we going to bring or whether we're going to bring this into the work floor. I can imagine that the rest of the world is way miles behind, right? So uh, that kind of shows where we are as a society. Even if the forward thinkers are still also careful, well, we have a long way to go. And uh, I, that's a bit unfortunate because the mental crisis is, uh, is, is now something everybody knows about. One in seven people have some kind of a mental issue. Yeah, I, I agree. It is is unfortunate. I think if it was in a smaller company, right? There are just the the, the red tape that you see in big corporations. I know you've probably seen as well. It, I think it would. I would want it to be done in a way, that, yeah, like kind of like CYA a little bit, like cover your ass, right? And and I know that's probably not like the most heroic and so forth. But you also can't impart change if you get fired and you're gone, right? And so. It'd be something that I would advocate for in the right programming, right? So work with the human resources, work with the right people to present it. Um, but I fear that like just suggesting it and kind of being rogue within, you know, hey, when you sign up in a big company, there are responsibilities, rules. You decide the benefits of that big company. The downside are you probably don't get to always be your full authentic self, mm. uh, which might be a reason why I'm not sure if I'm going to do that again in my career. Um, but yeah, it is unfortunate as you kind of say that, that that's the, the answer. Um, but I do think there's a lot of innovation comes not just like the hardware and software from tech, from Silicon Valley. I hope also that like the norms you hear about microdosing and those types of things of executives. Um, hopefully that starts to kind of trickle down. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to add a little. Yeah, makes sense. Um, and indeed, it is the smaller companies that are currently exploring this and are interested. But I was very happy to hear about Tommy Hilfiger. <laughs> kind of sets sets a bit the pace a little bit as well don't know about that experiment. So if anybody listening to this uh, has heard it before and you have an idea about how it went, perhaps you participated in it, I would love to hear more about it. Um, when we uh, had a session together, and which was about four years ago, and it was the onset of COVID at that moment in time, I think. Yeah, December 2020. December 2020. And uh, I remember that you were pretty happy with your work. Uh, however, after the session, you started to have certain new ideas or you were influenced in a certain direction. And I'm wondering how much has that uh, impacted where you are today? Has it done anything to the way you look at or the way you've, the paths that you took in the following months yeah you know in preparation for today i was thinking about the experience and the journal that i had written in which i think was like a seven or eight page entry uh, and one thing that i remember pretty vividly is thinking about some of the personal challenges i was having 
in the midst of kind of mediating my parents' divorce, as well as, uh, you know, just the stress of like working a lot and everything. Um, something that really came up was kind of it all doesn't matter, right? Not that kind of uh, uh, like not loser is a bad word, but kind of like, oh, who just cares? It was more kind of like all these things, if you're doing it from an authentic real place, like it doesn't matter, right? Mm -hmm. What happens, the outcomes matter, but not as much as the inputs. Um, and so, yeah, I definitely think that experience and just really feeling like at one moment, all of, you know, consciousness and humanity and like everything had been built up for this, this crescendo that was just so fabulous. And I felt so safe and could surrender to that, you know, typically in a pretty controlled environment where I have a lot of the factors in, uh, in control, being able to like learn how to surrender uh, and trust the process. You know, I say that a lot to my teams is, hey, keep putting in the inputs over time and just trust the process. Um, and I think through, through different experiences since then, right, kind of reaffirming uh, things that I've thought about, right, in terms of my own journey, as well as the, you know, the rest that my body needs, right, kind of some of the lessons I've gotten earlier this year or other things that I rationally thought about, but then until you really embody and feel them, which I think different psychedelics or mindfulness practices can help cross that chasm. I mean, we're, we're so much in our, like, top of our body and our brain. What does the body actually feel? And I'm still very much so at the very beginning of that journey. But I do believe the, 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 the first you know, uh, therapeutic psychedelic journey opened that up in terms of, I think it's one of those gifts that keeps giving, right? And, and clearly, if the first time doesn't occur that way or let's say it's not as authentic or you kind of don't feel comfortable it could really limit right like i think psychedelics can open up a lot but they can also close things if you aren't um ready for it or, or it's not provided in the right set setting and venue you can actually be turned away from it and so uh yeah there's no question that from that experience there's been rehashing of, of that thought process and uh open just continues opening me up to more and more experiences and being willing to um uh, question and explore and just um, yeah be a spectator to your thoughts and really see like hey is this me or is this what i think other people want or what i think i want rather than what my body and what i really feel so and your exploration was not limited to psilocybin the session that we had and you mentioned it yourself that it was just the opening or the gateway to further exploration um what kind of other psychedelics have you tried and what's the difference did you notice any differences uh and yeah can you share anything about that um so what are the psychedelics um so in a controlled setting earlier this year uh, Tried, uh, tried ayahuasca for the first time, which had also been a uh, calling that I had had. Um, and I just started dating my girlfriend who had had her own experiences and really kind of came into my life right at that moment to help me um, be very open to it. And as I think I just mentioned, the lesson that I really learned was just how exhausted I am because uh, it basically put me to sleep. And I think these uh, experiences, I also had a similar uh, experience with uh, Stanislav Graf breathwork um, for the MAPS Psychedelic Science Conference in Denver this year, where through the holotropic breathwork also fell asleep, right? So it's kind of these recurring themes of exhaustion that uh, I think I knew, but there's still a lot of energy that I was kind of giving to other people and, and uh, trying to focus a little bit more on giving myself that energy and kind of 
storing it up. Um, and then there was also um, another one other psilocybin journey that I've had uh, in a therapeutic setting, uh, which was not nearly as intense uh, as ours in terms of yeah, I mean, duration, uh, visualizations, all of those pieces. But a theme that really came uh, was like desiring and wanting a partner in crime and thinking of some of the like male or female friends that I had, um, specifically some of the male friends that I had kind of wanting that in a an intimate female loving uh, relationship. And uh, so that theme came. And then within like a less than a month from that, I, I re-met my now girlfriend. So uh you know, kind of gives me goosebumps just like thinking about how those all tie together. But I think what all of these experiences and journeys allow you to do is just continue to be open to exploring. And, you know, in today's world, and this might have something to do with the question I'll leave the next guest, but I think in this world, we so not divided, but ready to be angry or ready to be this or that. And just like taking a step back and realizing that these are all thoughts that aren't necessarily us. Like there's no better tool in such a short period of time that I think provides that questioning of what our thoughts are um, than these different psychedelics. Um, and then the last one that's been pretty impactful over the last year is, um, is ketamine. I don't know if that's actually considered a psychedelic. There's some debate, um, but being able to really distance yourself kind of from the experience and have more acceptance towards it. Uh, and I've had other individuals in my life share that experience around when they're going through really difficult times and being able to look at a scene that's extremely painful and can cause depression or cause really significant pain and, and kind of trauma. And when under the, when in ketamine, realizing that that's actually not me and there's a distance. And so I've experienced that and family members and uh, basically friends that I love and really are close to me. Uh, share that similar experience. And so I think there's a lot of potential there. And, you know, it luckily in the US are unlucky, but luckily it's, it's legal. And so there are a lot of help for kind of immediate mental uh, issues or depression and so forth. And so I can definitely see how that is. But some of the visions and things I've seen just over the last 12 months um, kind of really started to put things into place and everything just seems to, I don't know, I want to say kind of like, makes sense right even when you're communicating a little bit um when again this has been done more recreationally i've wanted to try it really like in a therapeutic legal setting you kind of finish each other's sentences because you're picking up on things that are not just spoken but context of conversation and other things and things just seem to make sense on ketamine so that's been a, probably the newest psychedelic that i've been um exposed to over the last year or two that's been uh pretty profound and um inspiring and since it's legal and acts pretty quickly i'm hoping that it can help a lot of people quickly because again with the mental health crisis issues we have quick solutions i think are important um to solve right now and then also looking a couple of things that uh, are very interesting to explore here so first of all i have goosebumps when you're sharing your story mm -hmm. about having seen your new girlfriend and then her popping up into your life immediately after the session so this mythopoetical uh, or mythical element of psychedelics. That's super intriguing for me. And I've had uh, multiple clients having a session, seeing someone who they are supposedly supposed to be with, and then receiving a message after months of silence out of the blue, immediately during the session or just after. There is just some element that we have to 
also accept that we will never be able to explain with science. Many things are explainable. Many things are translatable to zeros and ones, but not everything. And, uh, and this is the beauty of psychedelics. This is the element that really intrigues me. Well, what is it that creates this kind of experiences? Um, yeah, love. I love that, uh, that story. And can resonate with it uh, myself as well. Also, um, I'm not sure what I feel about ketamine personally. I feel it's like uh, a little bit disassociative, even though I haven't tried it. It's from the experiences that I hear. And then uh, whilst we are all on the quest of integration and becoming more whole, uh, going into the K-hole, disassociating, that, that aspect for me is a little bit of a... Uh, and the chemical component of it, that's also mm. something I'm still reluctant about. But yes, I know that it's being used for um, in control, controlled environments for uh, solving various mental issues. So obviously it has uh, therapeutic um, value. And then uh, the third thing you mentioned uh, was Denver. Cool. One of the biggest, uh, <laughs> well, actually in history, right? Yeah, One of the biggest psychedelic conferences in history yeah what were the highlights um so certainly a highlight right was getting the experience of just having stanislav graf walking around with about three four hundred two three eight four hundred people uh you know half were sitting half were uh doing the holotropic breath work and i think he's around 91 92 so he wasn't facilitating but we had some recordings of his and you know just kind of thinking about his career and life's work um was just yeah super inspiring to like have him at one point like looking at you even though my eyes are closed just like wow that's such a legend in the field to be that close to somebody who has explored the psyche so much and gone into to that world um was definitely a highlight also interesting was the sitting part just how impactful that was watching somebody else and kind of holding space for um a female that i had just met the day before and really kind of getting to this uh intimate space of holding it for her and then helping her through and you know you think it's just sitting there but it's actually sometimes people say it can be just as intense to sit with somebody as it is to actually experience yourself so that was certainly a highlight um you know i think another highlight would be just the cross-section of psychedelics and how they solve or not solve but are part of the discussion for multiple things right you think about veterans you think about for healthy people you think about um for firefighters, policemen, like all the different layers, indigenous communities, kind of where they, where their rights and how that fits in. And by no means do I have opinions or am I an expert in the field, but I just left the conference feeling like, wow, if this net zero, um, net zero Trump by 2070, which I think is what Rick Doblin talked about, if that were achievable, like what would that look like? And uh, again, there's a bias there because it's a psychedelic conference and Everybody there believes psychedelics play a huge part in that, and I am a believer as well. But just kind of the cross-section of different societal issues and how psychedelics can be one of the pieces to touch it. It's not the only one. It's not taking a pill. It's a completely different model of therapy than just taking a pill and hoping everything works out. It's like, no, you got to eat well. You got to exercise. You got to do other things. It's not just have one psilocybin journey and all of a sudden you're, you know, the next day you're going to wake up perfect. Um so those would be some of the, the main highlights, I would say, um, of the, the whole experience. And just 
for me personally, it was three days of going to school, but feel like going to school, but I could listen to five different people every hour. And it was like, how do you pick? And just eight to six, like having that excitement uh, is something I'm looking for. I'm traveling now, but really looking to engage myself fully with something that I'm really purpose, that I really can get behind the purpose and really like use all of my resources uh, for something bigger than myself and something like that. In those three days, it was like, wow, this is like going to school for everything you want to learn about, uh, which I think was really cool. And it felt like everybody there had that similar experience. So uh, still a long way to go, still a lot of work to do. And there's lots of ways we could uh, mess it up, right? And so I think people need to also take a step back and be a spectator to the situation and realize this is one part of a very big challenge of how do we you know, fix societies, and indigenous peoples and their rights and mental health and first responders and veterans, like all these different groups that can like come together in a bipartisan issue is so rare in America right now that uh, that's inspiration for hope, which I think uh, a lot of people are looking for. So those would be some of my uh, my pieces. You know, I mentioned the psyche, and I want to just quickly go back for one moment to the the kind of your comment, which I think really was important around me not willing to like share it. And I think the psyche and corporate certainly works together. My fear is if you go too far out of your role within a corporate environment, you can potentially do more harm than not. And so I think it's a matter of inspiring and advocating for the people who can help employees psyche who want that help. Uh, but similar to psychedelics, if you are too much outside of the structures that are built for better or for worse for reasons uh, that we might not always understand, you and you, you run the risk of causing more risk than that. Uh, more harm than good and uh yeah what harm would that be that people feel as though they have to engage right kind of like hey everybody's doing especially in a country like netherlands hey everyone's microdosing we yeah, have pressure, pressure. Mm-hmm. And, and these are things even with microdosing and there's still a lot of science that needs to be done as to whether it works and placebo is a real thing like your mind can do so much more than i think we are aware of i just was watching something with joe dispensa the other day about your thoughts and how his piece on that so my fear would be pushing somebody out of their comfort zone in something that could be life-changing uh, because they're forced to because of a job. And even like if your boss says, hey, here's something we're doing, a lot of people do things because they want to be being your boss or your boss's boss is behind it. Well, I'm going to be behind it too when maybe within them they're really like five years out. Uh, and so the fear would be pushing people too quickly and similar like our first experience, right? Uh, if that didn't go the way it did, maybe I wouldn't have been as open to these diff- these modalities as a therapeutic. And I was like, you know what? It was fun. And I remember part of our experience, my experience was, hey, this is what I used to do is fun. Like, how do I work through? There's a reason I'm here, not just to like sit back and listen to great music and you know have a, a, a psychedelic experience. And uh, I believe you might rob certain people who are probably the furthest away from saying yes if you force it on them in a corporate environment. Good point. I, uh, yeah, I can see what you mean with the peer pressure and feeling like, oh, team building event, people are doing it, I must do it as well. And that certainly should never happen. And uh, that also is highlighted by the aspect that I, uh, you know, I believe that thinking that you would take psychedelics and suddenly all your problems are going to be erased, all your behavioral issues are going to be uh, transformed, uh, all your ancestral wounds are going to be healed, or all your childhood problems are going to be finally eliminated. 
That's like imagining that you're taking a spacecraft and you're about to go to Mars, stepping into the spacecraft, sitting into the pilot chair and doing nothing else, right? And <laughs> waiting for the spacecraft to just kind of take you there and navigate you and, uh, and, and, and you being able to, by nature, breathe and, uh, you know, withstand the different uh, pressure in a cabin and all of that stuff that happens there. For me, that's a similar experience. So... Um, it, it it's a again it's a paradigm shift whether we're talking about microdosing or we're talking about a full dose in both cases we're talking about um yeah uh, not a drug we're talking about a holistic approach and as you mentioned you come as a full person with the full spectrum of tools and technologies that you bring into such a session you were busy with therapy. You mentioned several other activities like meditation, uh, breath work, yoga, mindfulness, all of those practices. That's what made for a good trip, for an ability for you to create a relationship or a symbiotic co-creative experience with this plant medicine. Um, not the fact that you took the plant medicine. So... It is you who creates the situation and it is you who ensures if it's it's a good trip or not, if it's a good experience or not. And for sure, you're, you're mentioning something like uh, a first experience can be a breakthrough in a positive sense, but it can also be a breakthrough in a very negative way. Um, yeah, and then what then? Uh, how do you manage the whole... Um, uh, it could be even an onset of psychosis that takes place and... I've certainly experienced this in, this in the sessions that I've had and uh, very challenging because people can come very confident about, well, I'm, I, I know what I'm doing here and yes, I've done therapy and yes, I'm, I'm very aware of myself and my thoughts and I'm ready to work through certain challenges, issues, wounds. And yet within two minutes of feeling the onset of, that, of the substance, of the power, what it can do to you, screaming that they want to be taken out <laughs> and good luck with yeah. good luck with trying to get them out of course there are ways obviously there are trip stoppers there's ways to stop something like that but that doesn't mean that the process for that person is going to stop right it is like um you know some cats out of the bag yeah the cats out of the bag so whether you're here whether you stop the trip cats coming with you now what do you do then so yeah indeed if you don't have the tools if you don't have the holistic support system around yourself, don't begin with anything of that kind. What I really liked uh, about you as a person also at that time is, and I'm wondering if you're applying that uh, wisdom, is you're the first man that I met who said, if I fall in love again, and if I meet a new uh, person with whom I fall in love, I will immediately ask her after the second or third day <laughs> to go into therapy, relationship therapy together. <laughs> Do you remember that? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I think it was on our walk afterwards. Um, and yeah, for me, that was something that was kind of foundational. Uh, and luckily, I'm, I'm doing that now with my beautiful girlfriend and uh, working with her embodiment coach, really. So kind of that's a whole nother world as well, like taking the signals from your body and translating that into how you actually are feeling rather than just your head. So it's kind of embodiment plus couples therapy. But I think the, the main crux was 
and that I wanted to be with a partner and somebody who uh, wanted to do the work individually and together and kind of heal together. And uh, yeah, I'm super grateful that I, I found that person or that person found me or however it all worked out in the cosmos. But for me, that's just so foundational because what I've seen is people uh, want to start the work once the house is on fire, right? Um, and that is, I think, a recipe for for really a a lot of work, a lot of extra work, super challenging. And maybe I'm a pessimist, but by the time it gets to the, the, the when by the time the house is on fire, like you just need to run out of the house, right? Um, and hope a firefighter comes to like salvage some of your things, but it's on fire. And I really am and in a mindset, and my girlfriend is as well, building a really strong foundation, right? around that we can build on now that doesn't make it any easier quite frankly than starting once it's on fire it just allows you i think a deeper layer and i think with psychedelics or even the breath work or kind of couple of my experiences this year it only allows you to go as deep as you're connected and willing to go with yourself so the body has this way of kind of like protecting itself but when you're in when you're working on that really strong foundation, I think it goes deeper and deeper, um, which also can be a pain in the ass and just super hard and difficult. And you're like, God, I thought I, I thought I figured that out, and then it just uncovers deeper layers. Um, but I'm, yeah, I'd say I'm trying not to be too boastful, but like I'm really proud of myself and us that we've done that. Uh, and people are like, well, what's wrong? It's only two months in. That's like nothing. Like we're alive. Like I go to therapy as well. And again, I know it's a privilege, and there's finances and energy and other things, but. It's a privilege to be able to work on yourself. Uh, and it's like, hey, I'm alive. And there are days I feel great. There are days I don't feel great. And things are going in alive in me. I want to figure out what that comes from. Not, oh my God, like I can't get out of bed now and I need to start doing it. Uh, I think like reshaping that mentality. It's kind of part of what you're talking about as well with the, the pharmaceuticals. Of, hey, I just want a pill to help me. It's like, no, you need to be doing all the other work. Like if you just take the pill and you don't do the other foundations of health and exercise and sleep and all the other different pieces, the pill is not going to help. And so like, you know, how do we reframe that as a society that it actually takes a lot of work? And what we look at as success is a lot of work by that individual, but also hundreds of people who failed trying to do be that individual. And we're still successful in other ways, but I think just like a culture of more transparency and openness and, um, you know, my experience in the U S the last couple of months is a lot of people, I think have like this front of, Hey, success and bigger houses and this or that and seeing it through my girlfriend who's from Slovakia, you know, post-communist country, it's kind of like, what is all this excess, right? Why? What are you trying to prove and hide? And, uh, you know, it's interesting. And a lot of the connections now that I have, it's like we get into the depth pretty quickly because that's what's interesting, exciting, like the weather or how big your house is or what kind of, like those things are kind of boring. And I think psychedelics is part of that journey as well, right? Of like diving in deeper and just keep going deeper uh, without a solution in mind, right? I just was talking to my therapist the other day. It's like, this isn't a goal to be finished. There are certain areas that we're working on, but this is a lifelong journey that just keeps going deeper and deeper. Uh, and so, yeah, it's, there's moments and I think every time we get to see each other, it's kind of a moment of reflection. And so I'm glad you brought that back up. And yeah, just really grateful that I wanted to do it. It's funny, my, when my girlfriend mentioned that to my sisters or a pseudo brother of mine, they were like, Michael suggested that, you know, like they didn't even know that about me, but I'm, yeah, I'm really proud of us that we, we did that. And I recommend it to everybody because it's just something about 
seeing your partner in therapy together, right? It's there's just some magic in that triangle. Uh, and I haven't we haven't done psychedelics in that sense. I'm, I'm sure that's something we will explore when we have the calling. Um, but there's just something super powerful of that like triangle therapist, you listening not only to the therapist, but also listening to your partner, talk to the therapist and you be a spectator. There's some magic there that uh, has been really profound for us. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to our next session in a few days. Yeah, so the quality of our relationships defines the quality of our lives. I think it was Esther Parel who mm-hmm. said that. Um, maybe I just invented it. That would be really cool. But um, um, yeah, I agree. So why not invest in the quality of that, right? When you're buying a new house, you're also going to start uh, pouring down floors, uh, painting the walls. You're not going to wait for two years or three years when the, the walls are moldy or the floor is uh, 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 covered in water because you've been walking around on an you know uncovered cement or whatever to start to fix it up by then. So I love that analogy. I love that approach to it. And I, I wish everybody else would do it. And um, it's something I've been trying to convince my partner to do since the beginning of the relationship. And unfortunately, he's been on the side of the spectrum of people who said, Oh, if it's not broken, why fix it? Uh, and uh, now we see the, the the reason I was asking for that. So now, luckily, we have pick, picked up certain uh, elements of therapeutic relationship therapy. So that's um, and that we see the results really immediately. It's it's brilliant how beautiful it works. So I can totally understand the triangulation that you're describing and how that creates um, an extra dimension to the relationship and also that creates the, the, the solid foundation that you want. So I'm, I'm rooting for you guys and I'm like so curious to speak to you in 10 years and see how <laughs> this relationship is going, especially looking at how terrible the divorce rates are currently, right? I mean, it's predicted that within 10 years, uh, I don't know how many more than 60% of the couples are going to divorce. And we're, yeah, there are various societal and geopolitical reasons for that and, and uh, economical reasons, but psychological reasons. But I actually believe that at the core of the, the whole thing is exactly this missing link that we're not yeah, investing in developing the foundation. So I love that. And uh, you let me know how that goes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, with respect to the different modalities that you're employing to improve your life and to become the person that you are. Many people find their uh, go-to thing, their go-to modality, and then they're they're applying it um, once or twice. And there is a question that I keep hearing back, and that is, well, if psychedelics are working, or if Vipassana is working, or if mindfulness is working why do you have to repeat doing it right why do you have to keep going again and again to another ayahuasca session or to another um uh, psilocybin session and of course i have my answer for that but that's a question for you yeah um it's a great question and i think just the fact that people are asking the question right means like there's just they're, they're kind of people are missing the plot a little bit right where yeah as i think i mentioned just briefly before the deeper layers you go, like the layers you go deeper and deeper is basically how much your body and mind are allowing you to go. And so there's always more depth to do. And so, you know, that you can like isolate a challenge or a problem and solve it, which is very Western medicine, right? Hey, you have something wrong with your shoulder. We're going to isolate it. We're going to look at it, fix it. We're not going to talk about the whole system, right? And so what... Um, 
what I would answer to that question is kind of, hey, like, look at your life. Is everything perfectly happy how you would want? And are there areas you want to improve? And, you know, if somebody tells you, hey, everything's perfect, it's like, okay, great. Like, then maybe that's, that's like as deep as your body is allowing you to go and you've created those defenses for that. And uh, again, maybe that's not the perfect person to like evangelize this, but I, I think people need to look at it differently in terms of this is can be from either a solving certain challenges or optimizing. And even let's say everything's really good and you're happy, optimizing for better, like how can you have more purpose? How can you deepen your relationships with others, with yourself, with your communities? Uh, and then when you start that process, you're going to uncover more and more. And one thing when you were asking the question or talking, I think psychedelics of all the different modalities, since it's really just like, hey, half hour, hour, you're shot out, right? Sometimes shorter acting like a ketamine by being just shot out so quickly, right? Um, and then having that experience within that four to eight, one, one to let's say 12 hour experience, depending on the, the substance. It's a pretty intense short period. Um, that process and experience is just much more instant than let's say a meditation or doing breath work over time, which takes kind of consistency built over time. But I think it aids in those other processes in the fact that it shows you what can happen in a short period, but you can't like take psychedelics every day. I mean, I guess you could if you wanted to, but then I think there are some theories probably around the time of the Concord where they were playing around with that, but it just reinforces those other, let's say more unsustainable but more lifestyle sustainable practices like meditation or mindfulness or the cold exposure or, you know quite frankly what what came to mind when you were talking about it was the opening and kind of psychedelics provide the opening to be open to all these different modalities and once you found what works like do it and what i find myself sometimes doing is almost too much right overload information right like how many uberman podcasts can you listen to you got to control it right like what do i want okay i want to get light exposure i want to get this i want to get my athletic greens all these things but then get all of those and then try it out for two to three months and then iterate um whereas the goal is to just be done well, that's like, you know, where you're not done until you're, you know, my mind six feet under um, or however you decide to be, be put. And so it's a matter of like being open to those different modalities and being very honest with yourself. Are they serving you or not? And I think psychedelics are just a great way to almost, you know, the neurochemistry of your brain, right? Expands, connects those neurons that otherwise, as you get older, which is why we typically get more conservative, they leave. And I think that constant curiosity and being open because, hey, meditation, Vipassana might be great right now, but in five years, I'd be uh, remiss to say, yeah, I know with certainty that those practices are going to help me, but I know that I'm going to be open to different modalities and whether or not I ever do psychedelics again, um, the experience I've had keep me open to that just by seeing whatever the different dimensions, the different worlds out there. Um, so I know it's kind of a long-winded answer, but I think it's a matter of, hey, this journey never ends. And if you're going into these practices hoping that it ends, then I would just really, really encourage you to either A, not start because it's just the wrong foot to step on or explore why you want to end. And I think we're so Western and my parents are a doctor nurse, so I've gotten like Western medicine. This is the way things are. Uh, since I was a young child and hey, there's a lot of benefits and if you get hit by a car, you absolutely want Western medicine, right? But there's also Eastern that I think has a lot of potential. And so explore like, why do you want to check a box, right? Now my girlfriend listens to this and she hears me talk about checking boxes. She's gonna laugh because that's somehow how I behave as well. But why are you trying to 
check a box rather than experience all the boxes. Yeah, I feel it's a matter of preference, right? I mean, uh, there are people who are walking through this life just uh, similar to the way you're approaching food and they like to sample little things from a buffet versus people who are going for, you know, the seven course meal at the Michelin restaurant mm -hmm. and they want this depth of experience and the intimacy with the with, with that experience. And I, I cannot agree with you more that if you're thinking, oh, let me just do this once and, and then I'm done, then it's not, rather don't bother. Yeah. It's like saying, I'm going to go to a yoga class and I'm just, I'm going to become lean and I'm going to become flexible and I'm going to do all those bridges and, and saltos, whatever, at the end, at, at the end of just one session <laughs> or at the end of just one, uh, one lesson. You're going back and back uh, every two times a week at the very least. So um, in a way, we could look at a psychedelic experience or any kind of other modality that we're applying for yeah, sustaining well-being, but also for getting to know ourselves deeper. For me, it's a journey of self-love mm -hmm. uh, because going deeper, people could ask, well, why? Why do you want to go so deep? And I say, how much do you want to love yourself? How deep is your love? Mm. Because I want to know more and more of myself. I, the more I get to know myself, the more I get under the layers that I thought was scary and shadowy. And the more I think, whoa, this is a really fun girl there. I, I love to play with her. And then the more I get to know her, the more I want to know and that's similar to the process of falling in love, right? The more you know that person, the more you want of her. The, the one, and I'm speaking from your perspective now, or for me as a man, the more you want of him. And um, uh, yeah, you cannot get enough. So you could look at it as in, yeah, there's depth and layers to your psyche and a lot of hard work and discipline and commitment is required as is with any other modality, like if, if we're talking about Aikido or Taekwondo, or, uh, which are also very uh, taxing type of modalities of personal development for me. They're not martial arts just for the sake of uh, fighting for me. This is more of a philosophy for life. Um, you're also going to apply it systematically. You're also going to apply discipline to it and show up again and again and again. That's the same. It's uh, psychedelics are also a martial art, uh, in a sense. And then, which belt do you want? Do you want a belt to begin with, or are you just coming to sample? Yeah. Um, yeah. So it it of course depends on the person. Dep depends on the personality. Mm -hmm. And then um, that also is an answer in and of itself with respect to if you're still struggling with certain challenges. That's probably why, because you have the sampling personality. And you're not eager or curious or committed to go deep enough with yourself, to fall in love deep enough with yourself. Back to Denver, and um, I think maybe this is the last question. The last time we spoke, you were the one who opened me up to investing in. <laughs> companies or startups which are working with psychedelics are you still doing that it's a good question so you know first off i'm not an investor or i mean I, i've invested in companies but i'm not a financial expert and just as a disclaimer to make sure because we probably made some good decisions made some poor decisions and uh you know got really fortunate 
uh, working at Zoom and was able to, to explore these fields. Um, currently, I'm not investing anymore in them. I, I still have my investments there. Um, it's a really interesting space. I think there's a lot of potential. Like a lot of people who probably invest in the 20, 2020 or 2021, uh, we're open for a turnaround sometime. These are also things that I was not like, you know, any, a lot of my investments, I'm not trying to make a quick buck, right? Like these are things that uh, I believe in for a future that uh, maybe it never goes back, but I'm not playing the market because like I, I don't know enough. And I quite frankly, uh, it's not something that really interests me. What I do think is interesting, I think you alluded, talked a little bit about this at the beginning, was uh, you know there are some companies that are actually trying to get away from the psychedelic experience, right? Which is uh, really interesting. Um, I'm not really sure where I sit on that issue, um, but I do think it's maybe it opens it up to more people. And so if the goal is like net zero trauma or to help more people, I'm I'm open to it. I don't think people if they're think they're available to the whole experience. Like, I think that'll be the best. But at the same time, if you look at what the numbers are and the divorce rates and all of these different pieces, like we need to provide as much help to as many people as possible. And if that means sometimes people aren't going to get the psychedelic experience, well, hey, if it, if it helps them and it's clinically proven and so forth, like I'm kind of open for anything. It doesn't, and maybe my opinion will change. Um, and as things develop and then, you know, corporate interests and greed and so forth. But my interest in the space is just, I think, Kind of like in the mindset question of, well, if you do it once, why do you keep doing it? Or these types of things is, I think we need to shift the way we look at just like pharmaceuticals and drugs and so forth, right? The idea is not to actually get well, it's to be like addicted to whatever they're giving you. And I think this empowers you to have that more kind of self-love. Uh, and so there's some really interesting companies that uh, that I was work I've invested in, probably was pretty junior in my experience. And like, I wouldn't recommend like, having money and then to be like, hey, I'm going to read a bunch of articles and then get interested in it. But it has kept me abreast. And I think I'm more investing now in a place like investing in myself, my relationship, also invested in, in really learning about the space so that I can be relatively knowledgeable. Not that I know exactly how I'm going to get in there based on my background, but almost investing my energy and time just by like reading and listening to people who are really interested in the space, like, you know, Tim Ferriss, Sam Harris, uh, following what Maps does, donating to them, just like staying abreast of what's kind of going on. Why? Why? Um, yeah, it's a good question. Why? Because uh, there's, I was having a conversation earlier today uh, where I would like to find work uh, that uh, has a purpose that's kind of bigger than me or what I'm exploiting or like taking, right? And, and in the corporate sales tech world, right? Like, hey, you meet great people. It's really interesting, the forefront technology, but at the end of the day, it's all about like number one, which I think uh, communities are built and people like thrive, not by only thinking about their immediate needs, but actually like building teams and uh, businesses and ideas that help others, right? Uh, and so for me, the reason why I stay abreast is just because it's an industry that super, I'm super excited about, super interested in, and I want to I want to know enough to be able to like have conversations with people, so that not that like they know that I'm interested, but kind of like hey, I'm I'm aware of what's going on, so that when the right timing or opportunity presents itself, like I know, and and I think it's accumulation of like my career where you meet the right people, you put yourself in the right places. Yes, you work hard. Yes, you make good relationships. You have a good brand. All those things, but kind of like trusting the process. And uh, I'll never forget the first 
like a, a sales leader at LinkedIn said like, hey, the first third of your career is about learning, developing, creating great network, working hard. Don't worry about the money, the title, and so forth. Second third is about, hey, what are you passionate about, right? You want to make money, you want to get a big title, you want to help people, like what, like implementing kind of what you learned in the first third. And then the third third, if you're lucky, you can be an investor, you can be a mentor, a coach, you kind of decide how you want to use your resources. And so for the longest time I've said I'm still in that first third, I think I'm probably on like the cusp of the second third. And so I think I've learned a lot. I think I've great created a great network and people and interests. It's a matter of like bringing that whole piece uh, to something that's I'm really passionate about that actually helps people beyond me. Um, and just being in a place like Denver in June, right? Meeting with people, seeing what's going on, just like that feel, uh, I believe and I hope is leading to the right thing and also being patient where the past will be like, okay, I need it now. It's like, no, no, let's take some time and be patient. So um, I just think it's super interesting. And the, the last piece is what I kind of mentioned about Denver is the reason why I want to stay abreast of this news and what's going on in the space is it touches on so many different areas of where society could be helped, could be helped. And if it's done properly, like I just think the uh, benefits and the, the outsized influence it could have would just be so phenomenal if done right. And there's still a lot of way, it's still very nascent. And there's like thousands of only a couple thousand people who have been really through these trials of all these different compounds in a clinical setting. So kind of where can you get the biggest scale for the least amount of time and energy. And I still think there's just like so much to do within mental health that uh, I've seen my experience, family members, um, friends, that uh, somehow finding out where like a, you know, a business technology leadership background can be helpful. Uh, yeah, it would really inspire us. So I want to keep it abreast so I can have great conversations like this one with, uh, with you and other people in the field. Lovely. So uh, I know this is a very annoying question because you're uh, on a sabbatical where you're taking some time off to just enjoy life, travel, explore, build your relationship. So it's like, come on, give me a break. Like, <laughs> don't ask me about where I'm going next. After that. That, I'm curious, do you have already a direction or an idea what's happening after your time off? Um, it's a good question. You know, I don't. And kind of that uncertainty, I, I actually relish in the sense that I have a feeling that there will be a time in the future where I don't, I know what's coming, right? You have your family, your responsibilities, and that's appropriate. And so, you know, I, I want, I kind of live with the motto, or at least I try to, nobody's perfect on anything, but like if, you know, today or tomorrow was the last day I had, right? Like, did I do everything I kind of thought was right or wanted to or experienced? And it's not like just be voyeuristic and just do everything, but it's kind of like, hey, with the time you have, have you done the things you wanted to do? Um, and thought was appropriate, whether that's giving back or helping or experiencing and so forth. And for me, this period right now feels like, hey, there's gonna be some pretty big shifts in my life over the next couple of years. And taking this break and this pause is like, I mean, who knows, 10 days of Vipassana. I'm super excited physically, mentally, spiritually. Like my girlfriend's done it like five or six times. And I'm this anxious, I feel this like anxious little boy, probably like the little boy you saw when I came to you, who's just like, I'm ready, you know, I'm so excited. But so I'm also just taking a, a pause and see, but um, I really would love to do something that is bigger than myself um, and that helps the world, whether that's climate, whether that's psychedelics, whether that's, you know, uh, who knows, but I think that'll be really exciting. So I don't know what's next. So Vipassana, and you mentioned before that your typical uh, response to such uh, intense, deep experiences is 
related to falling asleep. Mm. <laughs> uh, I had a, a leaving the body. So for me, when I have deep breath work or Vipassana, I leave the body. Mm. Um, something I'm still exploring why that happens. So I'm, I'm wondering how you're going to do 15 hours a, a day of sleep. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're sleeping, yeah, sleeping, uh, sitting upright. Um, you know, it's funny. I was trying to, I was talking to my physio, got some like wrist and other pain. And I was like, yeah, I'm trying to hack the possible, right? That's where my mind goes. I'm going to stretch every day. I'm going to be there so fit. I'm, this and he was just like, no, you're not going to be able to hack anything. Like this is absolutely not like the experience is to go through the pain and the challenges. And so, you know, I would really call it a calling like with psychedelics where I've been wanting to just be silent for 10 days. And I couldn't justify it when I was working because I was like, do I really want to take 10 days off? to sit and do nothing, which means I probably really should do that, but I didn't. And now I have the opportunity. So I'm super curious to see what happens, but also there's like, yeah, there's like anxious, nervous little child that's like, oh, what's going to come? So I'll tell I'll report back to you afterwards. I cannot wait. I'm so, so curious. And I want to make a prediction before mm. I, uh, we close with the question that you leave for the guest, uh, that's coming. Um, and that prediction is, you know, they say, uh, tell me who your friends are and I'll tell you who you are. Mm. I want to paraphrase that and I want to say, tell me what your interests are and I'll tell you who you are. Yeah. Now you're exploring stuff with like, okay, I'm going to relax and let things come to me. I kind of see a convergence when you return back. Mm. <laughs> convergence <laughs> of tech, <laughs> digital, uh, psychedelics uh, and all of that together in one person. And I also have a little bit of reference from our first session together where you were singing shamanic Icaros, which uh, I think is quite telling about the direction you're headed towards. So very interesting. So Michael, super nice to have you. Thank you so much for taking the time and especially with all this excitement happening around you. Um, I think this has been a very interesting conversation for many, many reasons and uh, because you're so relatable for the public who's listening and um, uh, because you're so interesting and because you're so inspiring. So I love having you here. And um, I hope that you have a nice question for the person who is going to <laughs> be interviewed next. Awesome. Well, yeah, thank you for having me here. And this is my first time here, just like the first time we, uh, we sat down for uh, that psilocybin journey in December of 2020. So, yeah, thank you for your friendship and including me. And just, um, yeah, it's really, really exciting. So I, I really appreciate it and appreciate our relationship. And that, uh, yeah, you get to be my girlfriend soon and spend time with Steve. So all very exciting, uh, exciting stuff. Um, so yeah, so I was thinking about the question, right? And um, it's not going to be as technical or difficult, uh, but it came up in a conversation I had last night at dinner. I think it's really, you know, I don't listen to a lot of news or I don't pay attention to, during COVID, I was like every day I'd listen to the New York Times, stay abreast of everything. And then I realized kind of like, what is the intention behind that? And if, if I'm listening to all the news of the things, and hey, I think there's certainly important pieces to understand and stay slightly abreast, but when you spend so much time exposing to it, then that's what your conversations have. And then like, how am I going to change politics or this or that? Like if I wanted to, I could go there and try to change and be, but that's not the calling I have at the moment. So I'd rather focus on meditation or mindfulness or this topic that we're talking about because I have direct experience and I can inspire or discuss it with others. Um, and so, you know, the, the conversation last night at dinner, we talked a little about this and my, my question, I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this. So maybe you can help me uh, decide how to phrase exactly, but... Uh, you know, when two different people, right, have like diametrically opposite views of a situation, uh, and this can be political, I mean, hey, there's a situation going on right now, right? And 
not making any opinions about it whatsoever. And you know, there's there's a obviously situation going on in, in EU with your or with uh, with Ukraine and Russia, and like all of these issues, right? And then when you have two people, and one thing Sam Harris talks about is like the biggest challenge is that we don't have conversations. And so what I think I would leave the next guest with, uh, it doesn't have to be specific about any current political or situation or military or conflicts going on, is what is the best way to get two people who have completely different views on the topic to have a respectful, thoughtful, uh, important conversation uh, where they don't have necessarily the goal of leaving, having to convince each other, but at least giving themselves the space, co-creating the space together to be able to, over the coming days and weeks, think about that conversation rather than what I typically see or hear about is people like digging in their heels and no matter what occurs, people are just like completely lost the plot. And it's like, here's my position. And if I don't remove, it's so tied to my ego. So the question, long story short, is like, how do you get two people on completely different sides to have a respectful conversation together? What, um, yeah, what do you do and what would be the goals of after that conversation. I am so tempted to go into the topic of the peacekeeping <laughs> where they, they put the experiment in 2022 where they put people together from uh, Israel and Palestine and, and they try to see if they're going to find a way to heal their ancestral differences together mm-hmm. and remove the heels from the from the scent like you're you're saying. But we're not going to go into <laughs> that. Thank you very much for that question. We'll keep it for our guests and for our viewers or listeners. Yeah, what are your modalities? What do you? Uh, what is your go-to technology for uh, feeling better, for personal development, for falling in love with yourself? Please leave a comment in your uh, in the in the comment section for uh, if you're on Spotify. And um, yeah, hope you're having a wonderful week.